Hey, it's Seth Harwood here with more of As Much Protein as an Egg. This is episode two. If you want to go back to the beginning, you need to check out episode one. That's where I read the prologue and chapter one. Here I'll be reading chapters two and three, and we'll see how long that takes us. How are you doing? Question mark. That's what I'm wondering. I have been in the house doing my thing, uh, homeschooling, teaching online, and coaching writers. If you want to check out my new coaching website for writers, it's at writewithseth.com. Give it a look. See what you think. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I'm also getting a whole new handle on audio all over again. And finding that spot where the levels are good and not too high. So, drop me any comments if you have thoughts on how this one is sounding. I'm doing something a little bit different from what I did before. In any case, let's get into some fiction this week. This is chapter two, as much protein as an egg. Back when Kellogg wanted to be a writer... His favorite living author was a man named Kurt Vonnegut. He had always wanted to go visit Kurt Vonnegut. He had planned to seek him out and meet him. Then Kurt Vonnegut went and died in 2007, which was 26 years after Artemis Kellogg was born. Kellogg had been born in a small city called Ottumwa in Iowa in the year 1981 which turned out to be the same year that Kellogg's all-time favorite, no-longer-living writer, passed away. That writer was a man named Kilgore Trout. Atumwa was a city named after a word used by a particular brown people who lived in the United States before any white people came along and displaced them with guns and boats and competition and greed. These people had lived in Iowa way before Artemis Kellogg or any white person had even seen it way before Kellogg's ancestors ever started west. The name Iowa came from a word that the brown people there used. To them it meant, what did you say? It was actually pronounced Ohio, but the white people who displaced the Iowans weren't very good at listening. Otumwa was a word the brown people used to ask one another. To them it meant, where did you just go to the bathroom? Of course, they didn't have bathrooms back then. They really meant, where did you just poop? But we say bathroom now because it's more polite. Back then, you were in danger of stepping in someone else's poop or shit or whatever you want to call it because everyone used the facilities out of doors. They asked each other, Otomwa? With very grave concern. Themis Kellogg ran his hardware store in Kirkland, Washington, a state named after a word used by a different set of brown people who were pushed off their land until he was 87 years old. This is really a ripe old age. He passed on the hardware store to his son Cherubin, Artemis Kellogg's father, who ran it until it was put out of business by the joint efforts of Walmart and Costco in the state of Washington in the United States. Walmart and Costco put Kirkland Hardware out of business by taking all the customers and getting them to shop out by the highway in a big box store. Turns out nobody wanted to shop downtown anymore, 
because it was easier to drive out to the suburbs off the freeway and fill up their cars with big containers of peanut butter and large groupings of toilet paper rolls that they bought at low, low prices. They liked the cheap pizza, too, which I won't get back into. When Cherubin Kirkland, Artemis Kellogg's father, lost his lease on the downtown location of Kirkland Hardware, which was the only one there ever was, the store his father had left him to run, his legacy and inheritance, so to speak, he killed himself by swallowing a handful of sleeping pills he bought at Costco. The pharmacy at Costco was another thing people hated about going there, because the lines were so long. Still, they went. What can you do? Cherubin Kirkland bought his sleeping pills at the pharmacy inside Costco because it was the only pharmacy that would take his cheapo state-issued health insurance. He did this even though Costco basically killed his dreams. Health insurance was what kept you from going bankrupt when you had an accident. Accidents happen. That's what people said. They even made bumper stickers. They even made bumper stickers attesting to this fact. So you had to have health insurance, which cost a lot of money. That, or you had to find ways of getting your state, like Washington, to help pay for your medical expenses. And then you ended up going to places like Costco to buy your prescription sleeping pills. That's if you were lucky. The reason for health insurance was because without getting it, getting sick was the most expensive thing you could do. Dying could be really expensive, too. Have you heard the story of Patty Keene? Her father died of cancer, leaving her deeply, deeply in debt. She had to go work at the Burger Chef in Midland City after that, certainly not what she'd aspired to do. In a country to the north of the United States, called Canada, everybody had health insurance. It was free to them, provided by their government. This was a very good idea, but the Americans laughed at Canada and didn't take it seriously. Canadians didn't spend enough time worrying about how much money they had. They didn't try hard enough to make more money than other people either. For some reason, Canadians didn't know that trying hard to make a lot of money was the American way. This was the best way. Another reason people in America dismissed Canada was that it was very cold up there for a large part of the year. So why would you want to live there, they asked. Certainly not for free health insurance. You could dismiss any place if it was too cold for a big part of the year. The real reason Americans didn't have free health insurance was because most of the richest people in the country didn't want it that way. They thought it would cut into the money they had. It would, but mostly a part they weren't using. For people like Patty Keene, Cherubin Kirkland, and even Artemis Kellogg, who wanted to direct, free health insurance would really be a big, big deal. It would be a big, good thing. The brown people in San Francisco and other places would really get a lot out of free health insurance, too. Same for black people. That was an even bigger problem for the richest people. They did not want to help the darker people. They wanted the darker people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and succeed on their own. In truth, nobody had any bootstraps anymore. Once Cherubin Kirkland ate the handful of sleeping pills and they didn't seem to be working fast enough, he went into the garage, put the barrel of a shotgun in his mouth, and fired it. This splattered the entirety of his brains and whatever else belonged in his head onto the inside wall of his garage. 
It left a terrible mess for Artemis Kellogg's mother to clean up. And really, she was never the same again after. If the family business if the family business hadn't just gone under, they could have afforded a professional cleaner to come and do the job to spare her the trouble. This would have been a much better idea. Incidentally, Cherubin Kirkland had notoriously short arms. For this reason, he had to use the big toe of his right foot to pull the trigger on the shotgun. He took off his shoe, but not his sock, to do this. The policeman, who first got to the scene, found it very questionable or odd to discover this man with his head blown open and only one shoe. When the autopsy revealed a significant amount of sleep-inducing chemicals in Cherubin Kirkland's stomach, the, the police concluded it was a suicide case after all. They had no idea that the sleep-inducing chemicals were originally Kirkland-brand sleeping pills or that Costco was mainly to blame for putting Kirkland hardware out of business and ruining the financial future of Cherubin Kirkland's family. People from Walmart were called Walmartians. Sometimes Walmartians locked immigrants from other countries into their store at night and forced them to clean for hours. Most of these locked-inside immigrants were white, so that caused a big problem, and the Walmartians had to stop. If they had chosen brown immigrants to do this, they would have had no trouble at all. Yes, even the prescription sleeping pills at Costco were called Kirkland. Chapter 3 Artemis Kellogg lived in San Francisco. He was a reader and a school teacher. He had wanted to be a famous living writer for a time, but now he wanted to direct. The way, the fa the way his father had killed himself, with the shotgun and not the sleeping pills, was the same as how Ernest Hemingway, another of Kellogg's favorite no-longer-living writers, killed himself in Ketchum, Idaho, in 1961 exactly 20 years before Kilgore Trout passed peacefully away. Kilgore Trout, for what it's worth, did not kill himself. That's the benefit of him having the right combination of chemicals, insanity, and love of his pet parakeet whirling around in his brain. Idaho is a state east of Washington that Artemis Kellogg's family passed through on the way to finding their fortune and making it out west. Kirk led them right through Idaho. By now you can guess who came up with the word Idaho. But did you know that ketchup was once a tasty tomato spread that brown people in that part of the country used to put on their food? It's true. Now we have something that's called ketchup, which tastes nothing like a tomato at all. Artemis Kellogg's top five list of favorite now-dead authors goes like this. Number one, Kilgore Trout. Number two, Kurt Vonnegut. Number three, Elmore Leonard, number four, J.D. Salinger, number five, Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway actually used to be higher on this list, but he had dropped to number five. This was because Kellogg decided at the age of 23 that Ernest Hemingway was too strict and rigid. Even though he loved the sex scenes in For Whom the Bell Tolls, Kellogg decided that he wanted to expand his use of odd words and widen his vocabulary so he forced himself to put Hemingway's books on a shelf. One of the odd words that Kellogg decided to use was epistemological. He had yet to find a sentence where he could fit that in.
One thing Kellogg did love about Hemingway was the fact that in Hemingway's book, The Sun Also Rises, the main character, Jake Barnes, has something like a missing penis. Either that or war-induced impotency. Artemis Kellogg himself was a particularly viral man who never had a problem with getting or keeping an erection until 2006 when he started using a combination of pills to reformulate the chemicals in his brain and make him more happy. Sometimes he wondered if he'd be happier without the pills, if he could just get himself some washboard abs. But really, he knew he'd never accomplish that. Washboard abs weren't for everybody. He was smart to realize. Since he started taking these pills, he had been much happier in general, except for the occasional problem with getting his sex drive to match what he would like. By sex drive, what I really mean is an erection. An erection is when a man's penis becomes engorged with blood. You might even call it tumescent. Engorged and tumescent are two words that Artemis Kellogg always wanted to use. Kellogg eventually told a doctor about his problem, who then prescribed a different chemical for him to take to get his sex drive pumping and his penis engorged right away. This chemical worked just dandy, except that it was a big problem if his erection lasted more than four hours. It never had. Every time Artemis Kellogg saw the commercial for this chemical on the television, the one with the guy smiling as he jumps into a cold swimming pool, it made him laugh, smile, and think about having an erection. He liked having an erection. Most adult males in the human species did. Recently, Artemis Kellogg read that J.D. Salinger, his number four favorite no longer living author, had a problem like Jake Barnes, the hero of Sun Also Rises but he didn't believe it to be true. One writer who did not make this top five list of authors was old Jim Thompson. All the same, The Grifters is really quite a great novel and one you should read. You probably already saw the movie, but still, you could do worse than to go read that book. It's about bad people doing bad things, which is all any really good book could ever hope to be about. As far as living authors go, Kellogg's top five list would include many, mainly people you haven't heard of, don't worry about that. Just the fact that you're reading this, just the fact that you're reading this much is really a big testament to the power and sustainability of the written word. I'm really just happy about that. What more could I want? Maybe you haven't realized that you could be spending this time just watching a movie. It's something you can do with your sweetheart after all. Did you know? Pretend I never said that. The one name in Kellogg's top five list of living writers worth mentioning is Bainbridge McGee. I say this because he's another important character in this book. Bainbridge McGee was the oldest living relative of Kilgore Trout, which wasn't saying all that much in terms of age. McGee was only 47, 15 years older than Artemis Kellogg, and 7 years older than I. Kilgore Trout had been his father. Bainbridge McGee was such a famous living author that Artemis Kellogg thought if he could ever meet him, maybe even spend time with him, hang out or whatnot, something might rub off and make him, Artemis Kellogg, a famous writer as well. He wanted to know precisely why he couldn't write the next great American novel, but which, by his reckoning, Bainbridge McGee had done not just once, but three times. His favorite Great American novel by Brainbridge McGee was called Black People. Yes, that's what it was called. He got away with it. 
to Bainbridge McGee's count, the number of great American novels he had written was seven. That is, seven out of the eleven books he'd published. Give him a break, he would tell you. Even the best of us have a bad day once in a while. Even a bad year. People all over the place were all the time writing the great American novel. Lots and lots of great American novels were written, and the majority of them never got read. Sure, some of them got published, but these were a minority and mostly just reviewed on blogs and in unread newspapers. Blogs were places on the internet where anybody could write whatever they wanted. Who would want to read that? Nobody did. And they didn't read most of the published great American novels either. So it goes. So it goes. That is a catchphrase or a familiar refrain that Kurt Vonnegut used a lot in some of his books, most notably Slaughterhouse-Five. I think he says that also in Breakfast of Champions, but I could be wrong. It's been a little while since I read my Vonnegut. So I wrote this book back in 2013 under contract from Amazon. It was a really fun writing gig. I was getting paid by the word, and I had a hell of a time writing it. It was super fun. Bainbridge McGee is a character that we'll get into more soon. Kilgore Trout was a writer who showed up in several of Vonnegut's novels, most noticeably uh, Breakfast of Champions, one of my favorites, and he was in a bunch of others as well. Kilgore Trout was a writer that popped up a lot in Vonnegut's work. So Artemis Kellogg is a fan of Kilgore Trout and a descendant of some other folks. Bainbridge McGee is a descendant of Kilgore Trout, and therefore right out of the Vonnegut character line. Pretty soon, later on, we'll get to meet a character named Billy Pilgrim, who starred in Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five in his own special time-traveling ways, and shows up here in a novel that Bainbridge McGee is writing, about September 11th. I'd love to know what you think of this. I'd be happy to send you an ebook copy of As Much Protein as an Egg. The shorter version, if you're interested in comparing the true, but that might take a little while because I only have a print version of that available right now. I need to format that for Kindle, and I've been sitting on my ass about it for a really long time. I should get it done. Because that's top of the list right now, right? Homeschooling, getting that turned into an ebook, teaching my classes, all kinds of things. How are you holding up? What's going on in your household? Are you working? What kind of work do you do? How are you feeling? I hope you're doing all right. I hope you're looking at this podcast and listening to it and enjoying it. I hope you know that I'm putting the podcast out on new places like Spotify and some other ones and Google and it's on iTunes and it's on Shout Engine and anyway, check it out. Hope you're enjoying it and I'd love to see you on Patreon if you haven't come over there already. Patreon is a good spot for you to get all kinds of stuff and if you come in on the Patreon thing for $3 a month, you can listen to the whole audiobook of the Maltese Jordans. I'm thinking about getting the old audiobooks back up on free again. 
There's a site called Scribble that sort of took over the patio books world when patio books went away. And I wonder if anyone actually listens to Scribble. Do you know Scribble? Do you check out books there? Should I put the Jack Palm stories back up on Scribble for free? Should I put the Maltese Jordans out for free? How should I do that? What should I do? If you are an Audible listener and you would like a code to download the Maltese Jordans for free from Audible, drop me an email, sethharwood at gmail.com, and let me know. Or you can hit me on Facebook, blah, 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 or blah, 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 blah. All those places. We're on all the platforms. All of them. Have you started listening or watching a podcast called All the Smoke? It's about these NBA guys who smoke pot, and now they talk to all their old NBA friends and reveal the secrets about how they like to smoke pot while they were playing NBA basketball. It's great. I love them. Matt Barnes, Steven Jackson. They did a lot of fighting and bonehead things when they were in the league, and now they talk about how the media really cast them as bad guys, and because of their podcast, they're now able to control the narrative. It's great. Much better than watching the news and hearing about coronavirus. Although, truth be told, since February, I haven't really listened to much of that show at all. In any case, I'm glad that you're listening. I'm glad that you're out there. And I hope you are having a wonderful week. I'll be back soon with more content for you to stick right in your ears. Drop a line. I care about you and want to hear how you're doing. It's your boy, Seth Harwood, out.